All right, guys, welcome back. This is the metal segment of the N4 podcast. Um, so just to start off with, uh, it's kind of really weird that how last week we were, or last episode we were talking about, you know, the new All the Remains and, and you know, kind of remembering how we were fans of, of the band's earlier work and, you know, just, you know, something to talk about, about a band that's kind of affected our lives. And we were just, I, you know, I speak for all of us when we were really sad to hear uh, guitarist Ollie Herbert uh, passed away very recently at the mm-hmm. age of 44. Um, yeah. We're not going to go into details or, you know, whatever sites have been saying or, um, you know, what whatever happened. We just know that, you know, he's passed away and it's, it's really sad. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it was a huge shock. Because, you know, we were just talking about it and, and we're like, oh, we're going to hear the new album. And then suddenly yeah. this came out of nowhere. Um, you know, what were you what, 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 what were you guys doing that day? Or like, how did you guys take the news? You know, with, with, with a lot of these announcements, I mean, some of these things have been hoaxes in the past, right? You know, you'll see like a, somebody just shoot off a rumor and then before you know it, it's spreading like wildfire. Um, so I really waited mm-hmm. for confirmation from someone in the band or an official statement from the record label. And I think I follow Phil on Instagram and he posted an image of Ollie and uh, the caption read, fuck this day. So I guess that was confirmation that the report was true and he he in fact had passed away. So, I mean, it's weird because... You know, not trying to take away the from the, you know, these things happen every day. But like, no matter how many times this does happen, it, I think when somebody is as gifted as that, it's always shocking because you always feel like they have so much more to give at this point, especially with the timing of everything. That's another thing that I was just like trying to come to grips with. I mean, they're right before they're about to release this new album, it's supposed to be. I guess in some ways a big re- return to form for the band. We talked about the singles that they put out so far. Everything was sounding killer. I mean, I remember like I was listening to um, Everything is Wrong, which is a little more like, along the melodic sides of All That Remains. But again, like production-wise, the riffs, the drumming, the vocals, everything sounded killer. So to be listening to that for like almost a week straight and then be hit with the news i was like whoa that just kind of took the wind out of me a little bit and um yeah just for someone to go out like that it it just sucks Mm, for sure um leon what like how did how did this kind of affect you yeah i mean it was definitely unexpected uh and especially just the uh like everything surrounding it is just you know I don't think we're going to get to know what happened. Not that it's, you know, any of our business, but it's just, just such a freak thing that happened. Yeah. Um, I hope, hopefully it wasn't anything tragic. Um, I mean, it's always tragic whenever something like this happens, but I hope it was nothing dark, you know, nothing uh, that came from negativity, you know, Um, you know, let's see what happens with that. And, and um, whenever, whenever the, the, the band and, and everyone 
involved family friends are, are ready to kind of uh, share that information you know we'll, we'll, we'll go from there um and you know with the music he made i felt like you know all that remains i feel like what got me into the band mainly when i first started listening to metalcore and metal and kind of what grabbed me from all that remains was definitely the guitar work um maybe even more than the, the vocals and the lyrics you know um just hearing kind of you can this is a guy who's so versatile that can do these like metal licks and then go to these kind of really good breakdowns and then do these amazing like almost virtuoso like guitar solos he's so he was so versatile and and i feel like definitely with those whole like you know massachusetts metalcore bands that kind of influenced what maybe today's metalcore, big metalcore bands are, I feel like he's definitely up there with with you know Adam D and and um, you know the guys from Unearth in terms of like just pure like skill and talent and and yeah. influence, you know. And I think in a lot of ways he's um, pretty underrated because when you when the discussion of like great guitar players come up, I mean, I think and maybe this is not intended maybe he has been brought up but i like he's never like brought up say like chris someone like chris broderick who used to be in um megadeth or um the guitar player from nevermore right um these are guys you repeatedly hear about the guitarists the former guitarist from all shall perish he's in uh that new band with uh, howard jones the name um, i can't remember the name now but um, um light the torch right? light the torch uh, but yeah, but like you mentioned before, again, I think this this takes me back to when I was in high school because when I was getting into Killswitch, the whole metalcore sound that to me that was my genre. That was the one thing that I was really into, um, next to like traditional metal and like thrash. Um, but you know, Ollie was able to play the kind of chugging riffs and then really create these really beautiful and intricate melodic guitar lines everything from you know you know the kind of acoustic interludes to like transitioning into like chugging riffs and then these face melting solos uh he could really do it all and completely humble like you could even tell on stage and maybe this was just awkwardness on the stage but he was never like the flashy guitar player even though he sounded like that you know what i mean he wasn't like on stage feeling himself too much he didn't go up and be like point his middle finger out and then just you know tap with one hand and show off and run around the stage and do silly things with his guitar he just stood there and riffed uh which is a cool thing you know i think um somebody as talented as that you don't expect them to be so humble and I think he was that in many strokes. So it's sad to say that, to hear that he's passed. And uh, it seems like the band was really onto something great with this new album. So, you know, I really hope for the best of them. I, you know, I wish nothing but love for Ollie and his family, people in the band. Uh, it's, 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 it's a loss for metal. It's a loss for music. Leon, as a, as a guitar player yourself, what what did you like about kind of his work and his music? Um, I think I said this last podcast, but they were like one of the first metalcore bands 
that I'd ever listened to. And so it was them and, you know, Unearth and Diecast and that kind of, you know, Shadows Fall, like all the bands from that area, Killswitch. And so, yeah, I mean, they all definitely had their, you know, unique take on things and all their remains had, yeah, just I don't know, definitely got their own unique kind of flavor. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we, we decided to kind of come up with uh, our favorite, maybe like memorable yeah. riffs and solos from uh, all their remains. I'm hoping, I, I'm hoping these are actually all these parts and, and not the other <laughs> guitarists, yeah. but I feel like most of the solos, I, I feel like he was more yeah. of the lead than uh, in the band. So, well, I know for the, for sure, some of these were in the music videos. So, <laughs> uh they're def- they were definitely at least his parts or his his leads or his guitar solos yeah. so well well ollie was actually mike's guitar teacher that's yeah, true that's really yeah mike, that's how mike was introduced to the band so you know everything you know i think that's that's another thing that people don't realize that he you know not only was a great player he was also a great teacher because mike's i mean the i mean prior to the the more kind of hard rockish sound i mean a lot of the riffs that they play they're not exactly easy they sound great and they sound so flawless and easy to pull off they make it seem it seem that way but like they're very intricate and detailed and noty right so uh you know to teach someone like that in a short period of time because i think it was i can't remember how long mike was actually taking lessons from ollie before he joined the band so yeah i definitely I, I completely forgot about that and it's just cool and um uh there are a couple of articles out there you can see um a, a lot of news sites have collected like reactions from uh you know people in bands and and uh fellow musicians and it's so cool to see uh you know jamie Jossa from hatebreed has a picture with him and he's like he's a wizard you know he was the only one who went with me in the lord of the rings themed ride or something <laughs> And, you know, he even looked like Gandalf. So um, lots of cool things. It, it seems like a lot of people, uh, you know, have a lot of really, a lot of bands they toured with. Uh, they have a lot of good memories of Ollie. Um, and it, it just warmed my heart to see, like, all these stories and, and stuff everyone shared with. But, um, yeah, definitely uh, we're going to go with, like, our most memorable, memorable riffs and solos. Uh, I don't have too many. I kind of picked one from... Uh, three of the albums that I really love from All That Remains. So from This Darkened Heart, uh, Tattered on My Sleeve, yeah. um, the solo on that song, and just the guitar work where, you, like you said, the acoustics kind of, you know, going from riffing to breakdowns to acoustics to, to solos, it's all in one song for me. And uh, that song kind of holds a special place in my heart because um, it was a song uh, my old band used to cover in our jam room. I don't think we ever played it live, but we were. It was kind of one of the first songs that I connected with, um, you know, musicians in a band, which was like, you know, mm-hmm. it was so cool to find all of us connecting through this one song and this one band early yeah. on. Um, mm-hmm. So that definitely holds. Uh, and I just, I just love the song too. It's it's so nice. The music video is really cool too. Uh, yeah. And I think it was the first thing I saw too on Metal Injection. They yeah. they had it on their show and they put that that video of tattered on my sleeve and I think that was the first thing I saw by them. So um, mm-hmm. definitely that song from mm-hmm. the Fall of Ideals. I want to go with six. Yeah. That song is just insane. Everyone 
probably everyone in the world has riffed along with it on Guitar Hero. Um, yeah. So it's just it's it's such an amazing song, and the guitar work on that is crazy. And just you know, I played on Guitar Hero. I'm sure you guys have, and, and and so many people out there. So like, I'm sure like this is something that's affected you know the video game side and kind of the music side. It's just a special. Yeah. You know, you don't get really that crossover too much, and this is something that a band has crossed over into like video game players, and maybe, you know, who knows how many fans have gotten into the band just because of that, you know? Yeah. And lastly, um, from um, I'm blanking on the album Overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chiron or Chiron, uh, just just that that intro riff and the whole kind of like mm. majestic opening of that song with the guitar work you know it still reminded me like you know that whole album was different but the 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 guitar work and then you know there's there was something still consistent with the guitar work and the solos and and stuff that that carried from um the last two albums even though that album is a whole like different beast on its own uh so definitely those three songs are are um if you've never heard all that remains, I would say definitely go listen to these songs. Uh, Fouaz, yeah. what do you? What, what are your most memorable riffs and solos? Oh man, that's hard. Um, I can't remember the last time I sat down and listened to the this this dark and hard. But I've, I actually think I'm, I've been listening to more all that remains lately uh, since he passed. Uh, so I'm gonna try and pick different ones. I did have um, a tattered on my sleeve. Uh, as one of my picks, I mean the song as a whole is great, but the solo, like you said, I mean it, it goes from the kind of transitions from the kind of soft to the really heavy, right? Um, simply just for nostalgia, I, I got to go with the deepest gray because that was the first song by All That Remains I ever heard, and that was the first time I was really introduced to Ollie as a guitar player, and just to hear those leads, you know, so much you know, aggression, so much ferocity, and yet it's so melodic, right? Uh, so the deepest gray I would have to go with from um, this dark and hard. Fall of Ideals is hard because there's so many I could pick, so I'm going to cheat and pick two that really uh, stood out to me. So the uh, solo section and Not Alone uh, is just so intricate. It's, it's almost, you know, you know, when I listen to it, I'm picturing like two, like, Jets kind of like sidewinding across, you know, you know, flying together and then going around in circles, and it's it's insane just how really well written and orchestrated that entire solo section is. And obviously, I think parts of it are, are played with Mike, but you know, Ollie is clearly the kind of uh, clearly the kind of orchestrator of that entire section, and. Um, the other one off of the fallout ideals is um uh what is what's the name of the last song um indictment mm -hmm. this is my indi indictment right um just that build up to the solo you know with phil screaming your god is violence your god is evil and then this face melter of the solo comes out and the cool thing about it is that the solo that's actually played is a lot more traditional he's got the wah going um, it's got more of that kind of hard rock, traditional metal feel to it. It's got elements of kind of like Kirk Hammett and Dimebag. So it really goes to show you that, you know, you know, as much of a virtuoso he is, he's also just a 
a guy who appreciates, you know, the different styles of soloing that you can get in uh, metal as a genre and as well as rock and roll. And uh, the last one I'm just going to plug, even though oh, not, I wouldn't know it as just simply for its solo work, but just because I've been really been digging the song yet. Um, the solo on it is great as well. I, I got to go with uh, um, Everything's Wrong, which is off the new album that's coming out, I think, in the next month. So if you haven't already, you know, go check it out. We'll be sure to put up a link on our Twitter. And, um, you know, I'm sure everyone here will enjoy the song as well as the guitar work by Ollie. So those would be my picks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Leon, what, what are your favorite kind of uh, guitar parts? Um, mine, I mean, I never really ventured out past the fall of ideals. I mean, I never really, they were never really like an album band for me. So, um, it's mostly picks from fall of ideals. I did listen to a bit of overcome actually, but, uh, you know, the air that I breathe, um, and this calling, I think those are two of probably my favorite, like even now, like after years of like not having heard them, like I can just like play it back in like my mind, like they're just ingrained in there. Um, same with the other singles on the album too that um, but yeah just especially the air that I breathe I think that's still my favorite to this day mm-hmm. yeah they've definitely uh, left left their uh, you know all these definitely left his mark on on music and uh, there's so many great songs so many great guitar parts uh, I definitely need to kind of go back and, and listen to the, the albums again and just kind of you know Remember, remember what got me into the band and the music. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, rest in peace, Ollie, from all that remains. Um, yeah. Hopefully, the band, uh, you know, whatever they decide to do going forward, uh, you know, all the best to them. And I definitely, we're definitely um, gonna check out the album when it drops uh, next month, and and uh, let's see how it goes. Um, yeah. Our next topic is gonna again it's it's <laughs> we don't want to bump people out with all these uh topics but it's uh machine head <laughs> this this episode is just <laughs> this cancellations, cancellations and disbanding <laughs> well not disbanding. well this is more of a disbanding uh so yeah. uh machine head yeah. uh basically i wouldn't say imploded maybe you could say even though yeah. uh, the initial reaction uh was um, was you who's the who are the members who, who I think it's everyone but Rob Finn and well yeah so there was some confusion when uh, they issued a statement so when they first issued the statement so basically I think at the beginning Jared who is the bass player and then the the the, the, the longest running members Dave McLean and Phil Demel they were reportedly all leaving the band. Turned out that Jared had a change of heart and he was going to stay, that he decided that he's going to stay in the band. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it seems as if that throughout the years, according to Rob's statement, that the band members have kind of grown distance from one another, uh, both in terms of the music and as people, as individuals in the band. So Dave and Phil, I I guess, decided that it was time for them to move on, which sucks because, you know, Dave goes back with Rob, I think, back to the the More More Things Change album, so which was their second album, and he's been with the band, 
ever since. Phil, of course, joined the band on the Through the Ashes of the Empires album, which really was Machine Head's major comeback, right? After kind of going around and doing different things musically. So it's it's definitely a bummer to see them go. Uh, I'm trying to find a statement that Rob issued, but I think based off of what I've remembered, he did take see he did seem to take a lot of the responsibility. Uh, he even admitted that, you know, being in control of the band as much as he is, he felt a lot of his decision decisions for the band and the and the creative aspect of the band probably pushed away a lot of uh, pushed away the members. So I think it's good that he's taken responsibility. It sucks that it came to this and uh, that they really couldn't find a way to resolve it. So, yeah, who? I mean, we'll probably, if Machine Head isn't like folding completely, we'll probably get a completely different Machine Head in the next year or two. Mm-hmm, for sure. And yeah, it, it, they're still doing this uh, one final tour, which is good for fans. Um as as the current lineup as it is, um, and then from there, who knows what's gonna happen? Um, I did read some of the statement from um, Rob Flynn, and you know, you did say he was taking responsibility, and I feel like he he also said like you know he was taking there he was going to therapy for his anger issues and stuff. So it's good to see yeah. him being open about that. But yeah, I can imagine it's hard. And I just, just from what I've observed from their touring schedules is they've been doing these whole, uh, I remember reading why he doesn't kind of do these package tours anymore, uh, which is maybe good for mm-hmm. them. But at the same time, what kind of stress does that put on their members where, okay, every night or every two nights is a, is a two hour long performance. And you know, how much yeah. does that take out of the members? Are they enjoying you know, what material are they playing? Are they playing material that maybe Rob kind of pushed the band to play and the other members are like, great, we got to play these songs and, you know, we're going to, okay, we'll do our best, but it's like, like we don't feel like, you know, I, I'm just theorizing. I don't know kind of uh, if, if, if their, their takes on what, I mean, they recorded it, they put it out there. I'm sure, you know, they wanted to to some degree, but, you know, getting to play that every night for and a lot of your set is maybe two hours and half of it is maybe stuff you don't feel uh emotionally attached to could be something well i know uh, i mean you and i are big machine head fans i know leon doesn't really listen but i mean we've all been in bands so at some point in our lives so we can definitely relate to this but i know for a fact that the 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 catharsis album which which they put out this year was completely destroyed by you know, metal magazines by reviewers in general. And I think the band has taken a lot of hits because Rob has become increasingly more outspoken, you know, due to the current political climate. We, I don't know if everyone here has seen it. I'm pretty sure people listening to this are probably aware of that, of the um, video we released where he was condemning Phil Anselmo um, for making racist remarks and sig hiling a crowd at a, at a dime bag tribute concert. Um, so, you know, the, the, the odd thing about that is in my opinion, Rob was completely in the right and he got completely destroyed for it. And I think as a result of that, the band also took a lot of heat. I can't help but think some of the negative reception that the band has re- recently received comes from 
Rob's kind of, uh, you know, desire to be a little more outspoken and not hold back his opinion. And certainly as politics have made their way, have made, made his way into the, into the band's music, you can hear it all over the latest album. So I wonder if that was also a factor that kind of alienated, alienated uh, Phil and Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I've been noticing like his, his um, kind of long form uh, blog posts or maybe even the vlogs when he does it in video, video form. Um, yeah. And, you know, if it's a topic that I'm interested in or if the news sites kind of don't editorialize it too much, I, I give it a read. And it is a yeah. it is a heavy read sometimes, you know, when not because I'm like, you know, oh, this generation is ADD and they don't have time to read. It's just generally when I read a statement from a band, I'm not expecting it to be that long. But, you know, props to him for being outspoken yeah. um, and, and, and comment like he, he's commented a lot on like kind of industry specifics, which is something I really like reading. And he did one article about yeah. kind of the rap scene and why those artists are being more successful than, than you know, even his band. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but on, on, on maybe being outspoken, I feel like, um, I don't think maybe from, from the, the condemning, uh, Phil Anselmo, maybe I feel like, you know, there is a minority or a vocal minority of people who kind of like said, you know, what the hell, mind your own business. Don't disrespect, you know, this God from Pantera, but, uh, the living legend Phil Anselmo, but, um, I just feel like maybe it's just the state of the industry these days and, and kind of like, you know, how when movies or, or shows or whatever gets slammed on Rotten Tomatoes and like, that's like the death sentence, you know? So I feel like with what they were getting with, with the Catharsis album, where it was just getting like pan and even one thing that made me kind of like roll my eyes is when he, he slammed against the metal hammer um, I believe it was the Metal Hammer review where they really just, yeah. it was more of a, it was more of a, like, they were just shitting on the album, not too constructively. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and Phil was yeah. like, or sorry, um, Rob Flynn was Rob. like, what the hell is this? Like, he just went all, off yeah. on that and, and slammed that. And I was like, dude, come on, you're better than that. Like, don't. Don't take the yeah. bait, and it, and you know you've been doing this for how long, and you you're gonna slam like a, yeah. a reviewer that's probably been in the music industry for a fraction of the time you've been in it. Like, come on, like, yeah, you know what he should have done? They should have just done what uh, Eminem did with Kamikaze. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, Revival got destroyed by critics and other fellow rappers. Overnight, he puts out Kamikaze, and now people are like, okay, Eminem is back in the conversation mm-hmm. now. And everybody is, and I think now everybody is in the position where they're like, okay, maybe we shouldn't diss Eminem. I mean, completely unrelated, but I feel like, like you like you mentioned before, that was an opportunity for him to take the high road and then use that as motivation to put out something ridiculously killer. Because not that, and, and, and you know, the thing is, Machine Head is one of those bands that put out, in my opinion, that put out like modern classics. So Burn My Eyes, which is their first album, complete classic. Um, came out at a time where metal was kind of on the decline. And then they put out this album, which was a huge influence on bands like Lamb of God, God Forbid, 
probably Kill Switch, Devil Driver, all these bands that were part of the kind of new wave of American heavy metal, they all look to like an album like Burn My Eyes as a blueprint. And then, of course, after that, they kind of went in different directions musically. They went into the new metal thing and then they really stumbled, right? And then they found their way back with Through the Ashes of Empires, which among a lot of fans, not just Machine Head fans, but no fans, is also considered in the same light as Burn My Eyes. And then right after that, they put out the Blackening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, and I'm sorry, I'm going to tiptoe back a little bit. For those of you who I'm pretty sure are aware, the Blackening, again, killer album, which is considered a classic. So I feel like a band that has like three amazing albums, right? Two which were released around the same time as each other. The expectations are just stacked. And unfortunately, the music that they've put out since then, not terrible, but not on the same level. And to be fair to them, it's hard to create music of the same quality over and over again, because you're not just creating music, you're touring, uh, you're doing press, you're going through the, the motions of being in a band, which quite frankly, a lot of people don't see behind the scenes. Don't, don't see what's going on behind the scenes a lot. I mean, we all laugh and make fun of Metallica for putting out some kind of monster, but that terrible dynamic that you saw in that, in that documentary, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case with a lot of the bands that we all look up to and mm-hmm. listen to. Yeah, and, and I, I definitely feel like, you know, when we saw them on the um, the Black Black Tyrant tour, or Black King tour, tour, like, the, the, we saw them, like, I shared this with Flaz when it came on my Facebook, uh, like, you know, memories thing. Around maybe 10 or 12 years ago, we caught them probably for the second time, and it was our first time in Toronto, we caught them with Arch Enemy in the Opera House in Toronto. Yeah. And, um, mm. you know, I, I was just thinking right now when you when you're bringing up uh, kind of the history of the band like around that time they were doing yeah. more of these package tours and they were doing festivals in Europe yeah. and they were just touring more on package tours you know and earlier I said how kind of they they Rob did blogs or vlogs about how he he prefers kind of these night with Machine Head uh, shows that they've been doing lately where it's just them no opening mm-hmm. act they play for like a good two hours uh, you know yeah however many songs they play and um Mm. i wonder if they've been getting bigger audiences with that less audiences as their growth because no matter how big you are these days um you always have to kind of adapt to the the newer generation the newer crowds uh because you know some people grow out some people move on some people don't like what you put so you have to always get a new audience so I feel like with, with right. doing these whole night with tours and kind of closing off themselves to touring packages, I still think maybe they're doing, they were doing kind of the festival scene in Europe, but I can't really, I couldn't really tell, but just from the North American standpoint yeah. of just closing yourself off to do these very specialized tours for diehard fans, I think um, it's hard to say, you know, the attendance for that. I know in Toronto, maybe they were doing that in the Danforth music hall when they came here yeah yeah i, I wanted to go yeah. to that show and i'm really kind of kicking myself for skipping it considering that you know we're not going to see that mm-hmm. lineup again uh so yeah no they were playing these like 
really long, intimate shows, which I think, to be fair, is a great experience because there are people, I'll be honest, like me, who just who don't want to like stand through seven bands that we don't really listen to and then wait for just just in order to see the main mm-hmm. event. But you know, to your point, yeah, one or two opening bands doesn't hurt. Yeah, and packaged tours are a good way of you know giving something you know diverse to your audience yeah. right there's a little bit of something for everyone who's there and you also open yourself to new audiences as well so maybe that may have hurt yeah you. you know you always have to adapt like you know you could you could always do these package tours where you're maybe you're opening for a huge name like you know if iron maiden took them on tour they'd be down for that for sure or metallica or any of the bigger bands that are that are bigger than them but maybe also humble yourself and say okay this newer band is bigger um you know whatever uh logistics or numbers they have they kind of have to humble themselves and be like you know what maybe we should um co-headline at least with this band or you know what fuck it we'll be direct support like maybe we'll take a pay cut maybe we'll 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 play a smaller set maybe we'll have less gear on tour you know less less production and stuff but you know the payoff is there's going to be this whole new audience that's going to get it, get to us. You know, um, I kind of noticed this when um, one of my favorite hardcore bands, Terror, um, they were direct support for a newer band that's kind of like really big right now in hardcore called, called Knock Loose. So you know, a lot of the old school fans would be like, "Oh my god, like what are they doing supporting this you know new band?" But um, you know, yeah. it's paid off for them, I think. Like, you know, maybe they come back to town and suddenly all these kids who didn't grow up listening to them, they're just an old band to them. Um, suddenly they, there's this new discovery, new excitement. You know, you're getting someone who's never heard your band before and suddenly they're they're totally into you yeah. just because you did this tour that was out of the box, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's so much to talk about, like how, how could it fallen apart? But uh, like Leon, what, what are your thoughts? Like just from what you've heard from us or what you've read online or your impression of. And your own experiences, because I mentioned that, you know, we've, we've all played in bands, but you know, you've been in mm-hmm. a band that's actually toured. So I think you know, that's a good, you know, it, it's good to get like kind of, you know, news from the front, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I toured once. I mean, the plan was to set off on a tour across the country across canada and that's ultimately what ended the band so i only have you know a little bit of knowledge on the tour um but it going on tour that first time um by that point i'd been in the band i think about two years um the band had been around i think let's see seven or so by that point um and Yes, there was tensions in, you know, practices and things like that. The first time I met the band, they were arguing. So, um, not a good sign. No, 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 no. But going on tour, you know, new things are brought up. You know, it's, you know, you're totally shifted away from, you know, it's a brand new thing. And so new things are brought up. And then ultimately you're smoothed over. But yeah, just there's some things that I guess it just brings out. I mean, you know, they've been a band for, so like you said, the last person joined, you know, it's been over 10 years at this point, like I I think. So, I mean, they've probably know each other well enough to this at this point. Like, 
like I said, the first I got first impressions of the band, like I knew kind of what I was getting into. So I don't think mm-hmm. I feel like probably what's going on isn't you know new to them. It's probably they I my impression is that maybe not impression, but in my mind I would think that you know maybe they wanted to keep together for you know the fans or like you know didn't want to shake things up and you know they probably loved being in the band but you know it just probably got to a certain point mm-hmm. um it just couldn't do anymore yeah and it's it's hard when maybe the money yeah. isn't coming in mm-hmm. um you know how does a band how do you have members who are you know they could be pouring all their their heart and passion into it but when it's not kind of that investment um you know, they don't see that they're growing maybe, or they don't see the album sales are increasing, or they don't see, you know, uh, a sold out crowd or a bigger crowd than they were used to a couple years ago. You know, all these things contribute um, from the touring side. And then there's the whole emotional side of, you know, yeah. um, dealing with, with you know, creative differences or how people, uh, personalities on the road and, and stuff like that. Like, you know, you could have a tour bus, you could have all the comforts. Yeah. And, and whatever riders, you know, food every day and you don't have to worry about things, but there's always going to be some things that, you know, luxury and comfort and, and stuff like that can't solve or fix. Yeah. I, I guess, I, I guess a question to bring up for both of you is, you know, we've all been in bands mentioned before and in your experience, I mean, sorry, I know you and I have had plenty of conversations about this because of, you know, we, we've all encountered, the silly band arguments that stem from nothing and then turn into a, a full-on verbal brawl, right? And sometimes they've escalated into physical altercations. I haven't experienced that myself, but I've heard that happen with in other bands uh, from people I know. Do you think? Do you guys think that at the end of the day, it's creative differences that often destroy a band, or is it more personal? Um. For me personally, and maybe in my, when I was in the band, um, I, it's definitely like, uh, more personal kind of like, um, what, what the attitude you bring, the, you know, how you are as a person and how you, you're able to work with someone rather than creatively. Because for me personally, I have zero music talent, so (laughs) I leave the music writing to, to, the people who know, you know, the people writing the music, the play, people playing the actual instruments, right. I leave that to them and I try and work with whatever they, they, they would give me at the time. So, um, mm-hmm. but I feel like, you know, if a part of that creative, um, you know, if you, if you, if you are very driven with your creativity and you want to express yourself musically with things that are in your head and what you want to write in music, pair that with maybe an attitude of, you know, you know, being kind of getting things done or being pushy or being, you know, kind of the alpha in the band or the main guy in the band, the front man, I guess, uh, you know, pair those two together. And they're, yeah. you know, unless you're with the right people who, who kind of like are happy to play whatever they want and, and are just enjoying the ride. Um, if they're not those people, then yeah. you're definitely going to butt heads. And I feel like Rob Rob Flynn is kind of that mm-hmm. that person where um, he yeah when you were bringing up all their albums that's something I wanted to say it was like like all 
despite what you you may think of the albums, good or bad, like over the years, um, you can at least say that they're honest and they come from like someone, yeah. a person, you know, you can very feel, you can tell that they're very personable and, and they're honest, you know, from what I've heard and um, yeah. the way he talks about it. And I feel like the way he just handles himself as the band and then talks about their music, you can tell that it comes from an honest place. It's a creative, you know, force that he has. Um, and at the same time, because he cares so much, it's so easy for him. Like if some review comes out, it's so easy for him to kind of let let that um, passion take over him and say, you know, how dare you talk about my band, you know, and this review and this album in such a bad way. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it's, I remember if anybody has seen the, the walk, walk with me in hell documentary by Lamb of God, that, that there's a, there's an additional disc that is essentially the making of sacrament. And they even, they bring it up you know, a band member bringing a riff to the jam space that nobody is crazy about. You can't help but take that personally because you put so much I've written, you know, you know, being in a band from writing lyrics to writing riffs. There have been times where I presented someone with either lyrics or a, a riff idea and they're like, what is this? And even though I've never like exploded or taken it like, super personally um you know like i i can't help but feel like a part of you is like being personally attacked because you put so much time and effort into writing you put so much of your so much of yourself into your music um so you can't help but feel that you know when somebody is critical of your art they're actually mm -hmm. critical of you and leon what do you think like you know is it is it the creative differences or is it just like how people handle themselves in a band and that dynamic of, of you know being being on the road with four or five people sometimes it's a cramped space sometimes you know you don't want to deal with a certain attitude but you know that person stuck with you for the next day the next two days the next week like yeah like yeah. again i mean i'm talking on machine head like i'm not super familiar i would assume given you know, creative differences, I would assume that it's probably, you know, a, a thing like a power struggle within the band of, you know, attention or getting the, you know, recognition for, um, you know, writing. So I think that I would assume that's the situation that's going on within the band. Um, mine personally, it was just kind of like a freak kind of thing. Um, I, it's a really strange situation because I just kind of came into the band and started I didn't intentionally, you know, take charge or anything, but it ended up that the album we were releasing was like mostly written by me. Um, they had like one full song they had written before me. I just kind of punched up a bit and then two songs that were kind of unfinished and I kind of helped finish. And it just kind of ended up, you know, that I was the songwriter of the band. So it was just kind of really strange. You know, I've never, I mean, I've never heard of that happening <laughs> before in a band. So I don't think that, that added anything to, um, you know, I don't think that added to why we broke up or anything. Like, I think everyone was kind of happy with what was going on in the band. It's just um, the stress is a tour, I guess, and people aren't cut out for it. Yeah, it's definitely um, something that a lot of people have talked about. It's 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 
you know, when when the news came out, so many people were shocked. But uh, I guess you know, uh, given how the bands mm-hmm. changed musically and and um, you know, the music industry as a whole and touring as a whole and what they've been doing, I guess you know something has to happen. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after the tour. Will yeah. you know Rob just hire new members or or will he rename the band? Some people are even saying like, look, if you're gonna going to do something completely new even with the albums that they did people are like oh this should have just been under a new band name but i feel like you know a band is allowed to change and write things and they're not kind of obligated to fans to to stay the same or deliver yeah. something that they may like you know well i mean rob mm-hmm. even said it himself that he has to do some soul searching i think he fully acknowledges that a lot of the kind of problems that were kind of festering in the band he was kind of at the head of all of them and when you have somebody who is not only the leader of the band, but the lead creative force of that band, and not to say that, I mean, Phil, Dave, um, Jared, and Adam Deuce before he left the band, they all took part in the creative process, but it's very much been under, um, very much been under the watch of Rob Flynn, you know. So, I mean, it's not like a Megavest situation where Dave Mustaine is basically just writing everything and, no offense, but, you know, everyone else in the band is essentially a hired gun. Um, or even a situation like Metallica, where it's just really the, 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 the creative reigns are just James and Lars, and then Kirk and Rob contribute every once in a while. Um, but I feel like if Machine Head is going to go forward, Rob has to consider bringing in people that, one, uh, obviously can play the stuff as good as Phil. I mean, I mean, Phil, Phil Demel again, a totally underrated guitar player. Uh, and I think, you know, the band is at a huge loss losing him the same way that the band is at a huge loss losing Dave, because both of them very underrated, unique styles, unique sounds. Um, so he's going to have, he's got huge shoes to fill. That's for sure. And he has to find people. He is comfortable with enough to just kind of, loosen his grip on the creative reins and be like, all right, you know what? You guys go ahead and write a song. I'm not going to have any involvement. In it. I'm simply going to be a participant and I'm not going to be leading the overall um, kind of orchestration and, and architecture of this, of this song that you're writing. You know what I mean? He has to loosen up those reins a little bit and let people in and let them take part in the, the creative process. Otherwise there's no point in him moving forward with, machine head if he's going to stick to the way he's doing things now then he may as well just um hire some uh players and just do like a solo album or something Mm -hmm. yeah let's see what the future holds um they're doing a farewell tour i believe it's happening now or by the end of the year sadly no toronto date it's all like america i think so um Yeah. yeah let's see what happens it's definitely uh uh, great topic and there's so much you know we mm-hmm. talked about so uh, we're going to move yeah. on now um, kind of a more free kind of open discussion topic mm-hmm. um, so there's been like so many 10 uh, year anniversary tours been happening uh, I've, I've probably gone mm-hmm. to like six or seven so far um, but you know a lot of people kind of want to you know they see it as, is this just a cash grab for some bands or, or is it like kind of a viable thing now? There's so many bands now that are passing that 10 year mark with certain albums. 
is it a cool thing? Is it a special occasion? Make kind of makes it more exciting than your average tour to kind of go back and play a whole album or uh, you know most of one album that came out ten years ago. So, what do you guys think about kind of these ten year tours? Have you guys gone to any or, or seen any um, you know in the past year or so? Um, I went to, I think maybe the only one I can say at all. I went, I think it was two years ago, must've been two years ago. I uh, protest the hero did Kazaya, um, 10 year anniversary. So I went to see that. And it's funny because, um, I've seen protest, I think maybe, maybe I think it's four times now. The first time ever they played Kazaya in full. This was like that touring cycle. Second time, um, when they were announced they were going independent they did this like little toronto showcase and so the third time i saw them was them doing this anniversary tour <laughs> so i got to see three out of two out of three times i got to, this, to see them do it's like um you know the whole album together and it's kind of funny because um they did recording video recording the uh anniversary one and so far two years later there's been no sign of any of this recording anywhere so i'm not sure I, i'm kind of glad because there's one part where they kicked the mic into this into the crowd and i was just kind of i'm like singing along i'm like wait i don't know the parts the, i don't know the words of this part and i'm just kind of like right there at the you mic freeze. And yeah like, oh. that's happened to me so i oh. <laughs> no i didn't freeze i kind of like sang oh, along but I didn't okay. know yeah, yeah that's also happened to me <laughs> so so i hope i hope that doesn't uh stay, i hope that part doesn't come out but uh <laughs> yeah so kind of being able to you know have that um comparison of like the original cycle to you know an anniversary cycle um the one thing i thought was kind of missed there was they did it kind of it was kind of theatrical in the first one um they brought out the guest singer they got at the end of the uh album they did this like confetti thing it was at the, i think it was at the phoenix they did this from the balconies and like the upper like um because it was like have like uh, i don't know what you call them but there's like upper levels and there's like all these things like falling down it was like it was like a celebration kind of thing and then the second time around they they brought back the bassist who had left at that point and i can't remember if they brought back the drummer or not i think they would have but it was it wasn't really theatrical they didn't bring out the singer i don't think at all um it it was just kind of i mean there was two nights i believe for that one um maybe in addition to an entire tour so maybe they did this like on a different night because i think i saw the second one but um um i i'm for it i think that you know it's it's tough because you know bands want to keep their sets fresh and they want to keep you know you want to introduce new songs because they're proud of it and on the other hand you have the the fans who are either stick with the band and you know have that favorite album or they've you know never gone past that album because like nothing has ever topped it and i think it's i think it's a fine idea i don't think it's a cash grab or anything i think it's a chance for the fans to maybe reconnect maybe um uh, some bands are doing you know the full album and then they'll do extra cuts i think uh i didn't go to it but i think the black dahlia murder did that on their tour recently right um, um they, yeah. they were actually playing all mm-hmm. Nightbringers, which is their latest yeah, uh, Whitechapel okay. did uh, uh, all. It was the tour with Whitechapel, and Whitechapel or, did all of this as exile. Okay, so it was last year, though. I think they did. Um, maybe it didn't come here, but they oh did yeah, they did the unhallowed. Yeah, yeah, you're Nocturnal. right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but 
yeah, I think it's just, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's, um, this is a band, uh, I don't actually know if it's an anniversary tour. I don't think it's an anniversary tour, but this one band that uh, hasn't been active for a while that uh, is was one of my favorite bands until they like st- stopped making music uh, was Cute Is What We Aim For, um, just like a pop punk band. And uh, so they're coming um, soon. And I'm like, I've, I saw them once live. I think at MTV Live, I saw them. Um, I don't think I got to see them properly, like a full set, but I'm excited for that because their last album was, I believe, 2008. So yeah, it would have been 10 years ago that they would have like really done anything. Mm-hmm. So kind of kind of an anniversary thing, but kind of not like not playing a full album, you know. So yeah, I'm for it. Yeah, lots of good points. Waz, what do you think? Have you been to any 10-year tours or is there like bands you wish that you that you listen to that you wish would do them? Well, I've only ever been to one uh, anniversary tour, and that was uh, the 10-year anniversary for Alive or Just Breathe and by Killswitch Engage. Most of us here consider Alive or Just Breathe and Killswitch's finest moment. I think it's usually contested between that and End of Heartache, I think, amongst fans, but I was definitely uh, willing to pay for that ticket. I wanted to see that album be performed from start to finish, and it was worth it for me, uh, you know, and again, they, they totally pulled it off. I remember, I'm trying to remember if there was an additional opening band, but I remember Shadows Fall was also on that tour and they were just killer. So, you know how before we were talking about patch- packaging tours, I mean, anniversary tours don't just need to be about the band and this one album that they're revisiting. It could be an opportunity to just tour again and then, put together an awesome package of bands and uh, and really just kind of kick ass on the road and put on great shows. Uh, that today probably remains my favorite. Actually, I, w- I don't know if I'd say it was my favorite Killswitch show, but I think it's probably one of the best shows. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the flyer for that and I was being so... I wasn't in the country at the time and I was so jealous <laughs> and I was in the Opera House in Toronto, which is, uh, you know, they played they definitely play bigger venues today, so... And back then too, they yeah. they, they to think of it, they're they're band capable of playing like a good like thousand plus capacity yeah. room. So, um, and I'm pretty sure that that was the last time I went to a show. Oh wow! Opera House. So, I, I thought it was great mm-hmm. for many reasons. I mean, uh, on the wider subject of like anniversary tours, again, I mean, if there's a market for it, why not? I think the, one of the problems, and this is something we could definitely revisit in another episode is that there seems to be this bizarre relationship that metal fans or not relationship but this concept of success that metal fans have and expectations if a band becomes too successful they immediately start sucking it doesn't matter whether or not they're staying consistent musically if they start selling records if they start playing bigger venues if they start selling out shows they've reached the point where like oh you're too big I can't like you anymore. So they naturally want them to go back and revisit a style or a sound or a theme that they feel is more connected to the band's roots. On the flip side of that, if they if bands do do that, then of course it's written off as a cash grab. You'll see it in comment sections all the time. If band X decides to do an anniversary tour for album X, then some people are going to be for it, and then there are going to be a hundred other people saying it's a cash grab. 
and my, 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 my answer to that is, so what if it is a cash grab? Bands have to make money. Like, what what, what reality do we live in where you, you can sustain yourself without living, without having a paying job? And there's this idea that, you know, well, you know, if they're real artists, they would just not make money. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. You know, what do you want them to do? On one hand, they just get money from the money tree, like everyone else. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I <laughs> want them to revisit these classic albums, and when they finally do, you think it's a sellout move. So basically, they were selling out when they got popular, and then when they decided to go back and revisit their older albums that were seen as classics by their fans, they're still selling out because it's a cash grab. So. Yeah, like you can't win with some people. You can't, you can't it's it's win. so like for me, yeah. people who are like, you know, this tour is a cash grab. So what? As long as they put on a good show, who cares? You know, like if, if Killswitch decided that they wanted to do an anniversary tour, a twentieth anniversary tour for a live or just breathing, I would still go and watch it. One because I'm a fan of the band and I love a live or just breathing. Why wouldn't I want to go and see them perform that album from start to finish? Mm-hmm. so you know i think yeah not. for sure um so i've probably gone to like like i said earlier like six or seven maybe or more and uh you know since i've paid money to go to them then i'm definitely for it yeah but um i do also have like a few like things that i've observed so like one of the good ones that i was really excited for was the suicide silence 10-year of yeah. the cleansing yeah you know foundation of deathcore one of their the most influential deathcore records out there and obviously you know mitch lucker who was in the band you know passed away so they did you know they were doing this record with um their current vocalist um who was in all shot parish eddie from all shot parish uh to me the only thing i mean you know yeah, I, I wouldn't say it irked me, but it for me it's just kind of like the band had to do this. It was like they were kind of like we we either do this or we we fall into obscurity because their latest album got like panned mm-hmm. by everyone. Like no one, I, I don't I don't know anyone who kind of enjoyed it, <laughs> and um, I don't think they even did like any tours yeah. to support that outside of like a few few like California headline shows yeah. or West Coast shows. Um, so I can imagine from their position, you know, record labels or booking agents or whatever, um, mm-hmm. were like, well, you know, your last album didn't sell, um, no one wants to book you for what, you know, or we'll book you, but you know, you need to open for this or you need to, uh, you know, we're not going to pay you that much because you guys aren't relevant anymore. You know, we can get this band who sells out a venue for the same price. So for a while they weren't doing anything. And I guess, you know management or the band or whoever said all right guys you need to you know this is something that has potential you guys need to go back and do this and they did and uh it looked like every show on the tour did really well and then i think this summer they they were supporting for attila on a tour uh so you know uh, it was cool to see live eddie definitely you know on the subject of maybe um having different members whether they left or passed away or whatever uh, kind of play those albums again. I feel like it's fine as long as they 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 do it. You know, they give it their all and they do it well. Um, right. It's cool to see that. You know, I just saw Casey's Train do all of Continent, um, and Vincent is the the singer. Vincent Bennett is the only um, member of the band now who's um, who's on that album. 
and he, he they they have a completely different lineup now, and um, it sounded just as as amazing. And there's you know songs that were like super heavy back then. I didn't think they could be heavier, and then live, there's just this whole new rendition, um, and it just sounds fiercer and angrier. So. Um, from that perspective, I'm glad. Also, it's and it's another thing too where you know I love the Acacia Strain, but I feel like maybe their last album, Grave Bloom, didn't really take off with most fans. So, which sucks because it was my favorite album of of last year. Um, so, right. and they weren't really doing a lot of big tours. Like they were still touring, they were still active, but you know nothing massive. Um, so, you know, as much as I love the new album and I would have loved to see like, you know, uh, a tour with, right. where they play a lot of their newer stuff, I guess they have to play the market and they have to play with, you know, what keeps the band going. Uh, and I'm not, you know, maybe they all consciously said, hey, let's do it. You know, I'm not assuming, uh, you know, they, they, they um, say, OK, we got to do what we got to do. Maybe they wanted to play it. So for whatever reason, they did it. Yeah. I went and I saw a lot of people were, were really excited and uh, they also paired it with After the Burial's uh, 10-year anniversary. So that was a cool experience. Seeing two bands pair up for a 10-year tour was cool. Uh, I know Born of Osiris did it with their album, uh, The New Rain. And they actually re-recorded it for their 10th anniversary. So having a tour where they celebrate the... Um, the uh 10 year anniversary and have kind of like the the uh, reimagined version or the you know the re-recorded version 10 years later is cool um but yeah i'm kind of going on but you know uh, i feel like it's it's uh, a good thing for fans um mm-hmm. especially for me you know 10 years ago i these were all the albums i was getting into um but it's also cool maybe for newer fans or or uh, like you said, fans who only like that album and they don't want to kind of hear anything else. This is something that yeah. will kind of bring people out of the woodwork to see them live again. And yeah, I don't think it's a cash grab. I think it's just, um, you know, you got to work with the industry sometimes. And if it means yeah. um, saying, you know, hey, I love this new material, uh, you know, I'm really proud. Like 10 years ago, I wrote that album, but I'm really proud of what I wrote today. But, you know, uh, let's give the fans maybe what they want to hear. And celebrate this album ten years you gotta ago. Pay your bills. You uh, gotta you know. pay your bills. So you gotta do what you have. Yeah, exactly. You it's know. it's not easy, especially with touring today. Like if you don't want to buy it, buy buy a band's album. If you don't want to buy merch, then a band has to figure out ways to monetize uh, the great. Yeah, and so, you know, Spotify streaming doesn't exactly. pay album stream uh, after three sixty deals and and you know, merch cuts and everything. Yeah. Uh, that bands have to kind of give these days, you know, you're only left with so much. So if you have an opportunity to capitalize on something, I say go for it as long as you, you're you doing it sincerely. And, uh, you know, if, if a fan's paying $20, $30, $40 or buying a VIP uh, package to see you and get, like, you know, all these products you offer, you know, you, you make that money worth it for that fan because there's nothing worse than, um, you know, people in this fans can see a cash grab and, and, and kind of, they can tell like, all right, they're just doing this just for the money, you know? But when you offer like, you know, every, every 10 year tour I've been to so far, um, has been, you know, worth it. It's been like something that I'll never forget. And it's, it's just, you know, 
I was there front row just, and, and it took me back. Like, you know, it made me remember the first time I picked up that band's album and listened to it. Absolutely. So definitely a cool experience. I hope to see more. I don't know if there are any more coming up now that. Yeah. Can I say the one, it's very tragic that the Winds of Plague. Oh my God. Like, just like five dates on the West, uh, West coast of the U S like, uh, that man would have been to leave the West Coast now. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. They did a they did a tour with Devil Driver before their new mm. album came out, like a year before, and it came to Toronto. And I was like, uh, you know, they'll be back, and they haven't <laughs> been back since. So. They're still they're still coming out, right? Yeah, the it's the decimate the week. They're doing a ten year. Yeah. Back with that two thousand eight shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got to change that for the tour, or will they? Yeah, two thousand eighteen <laughs> shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, um, the Faceless just announced the anniversary tour for uh, Planetary Duality. Oh, it's yeah. Last um, Hope it comes here. It's, there's like five yeah. dates, five days, four days off between Chicago and Ottawa. Like, where's Toronto? Hello? Yeah. Um, Toronto always gets that. Yeah, I see a lot of bands are, are doing it, so it's cool. Um, I think... I, I think it was just the 2008 was just like a landmark year for like, I can just trace so many albums back to that one year. Yeah. So I think that's, it's definitely like, just, just everything happens to be, you know, this year. Mm-hmm. And one last thing, I just want to give props to bands that could easily capitalize on that, but they choose to like say, no, we're proud of our new stuff. Like uh, Parkway Drive, I'm sure um, Horizons turned 10 this year. I think it was last year. Last year, yeah. I know yeah. they did like one thing in Australia, which was part of like Unified Festival, that that label, um, mm. UNFD. And I think they did like a special like Horizons like anniversary set. Yeah. But in overall, I think with their new album, it's hard when you put on a new album, but it's also your like ten year anniversary of like one of your best, your you know, uh, fan favorite albums. Uh, it's it's good on them for being like no we put our heart and soul into this new album and we're not gonna like do a 10-year anniversary well, and we're just gonna keep going forward you it's know? interesting it's interesting you so, mentioned that because i was reading that slipknot apparently is in the studio getting well putting together material for a new album but there's a rumor going around the net suggesting that they're going to do like an iowa anniversary tour next year oh that, uh, if anybody i mean sorry i, I know you and i went with slipknot concert uh but two years back leon i don't know if you've seen them live but like even if you're not a fan you should go watch slipknot live that is just mm-hmm. something you have to see to believe uh but yeah if i mean and iowa is considered even though i'm in the volume three is their defining moment camp when it comes to slipknot but uh iowa is considered like their landmark album so if that's for real that's probably going to be a huge seller i think Hmm. Yeah, I say keep them coming, and uh, I'm gonna like look at like what came out in, in 2009 to see what com- what what could happen. <laughs> could be could be 15 years anniversaries as well. Oh yeah, true. Hey, 20, that. 20 years. I mean, 1999. That's got to be. I was thinking like um, that 99 was a great year for movies. You got Fight Club. You got The Matrix. So I'm sure there's like there's gonna be 20 year anniversary tours from that yeah. year. Yo, Limbiscuit, significant other <laughs> yeah. ten year tour. Yeah. We live in the age of remakes, revivals, reboots, mini you know, limited time series, reissues, remasters. Why not? 
You know, this is this is mm-hmm. going to be such a huge jump. Yeah, and it's also cool because, like, you know, if as we grow older, you know, we get friends or we have kids or family or you know, people in our lives, and you know, you could share this with them. Uh, I don't think I'll, I'll I'll share some of the kind of these heavier bands that I listen to with with uh, new people uh, that are not into the music. But hey, you never know. Like a, a father could take. Uh, you know, parent could take their child or or something and and pass that on to them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, who knows? Uh, but yeah, we're we're uh, just a little over the hour mark now, and uh, we usually talk about you know what what stuff we've been listening to. But I feel like we could uh, use that for the next episode or when uh, when uh, things are a little dry in, in terms of discussions and what to talk about. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening and uh, checking out uh, our second episode. As we said earlier in the episode, we're in a da- uh, you can expect a Daredevil Season 3 deep dive sometime in the next few weeks. And then other than that, we'll have a, a new episode in November. So uh, keep your eyes out for that. We are on Twitter. Um, check us out at M4 underscore podcast. That's us on Twitter. We are hoping to get um, other social media pages up. Uh, but until next time, uh, I'm Sari. You can find me uh, at Void as Necessary on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Fawaz and Leon, you guys want to plug your uh, social media? Yeah, uh, mine is simple. You can find me at, at Fawaz Azim on Twitter and on Instagram. I know, very creative. <laughs> and uh, I'm mostly active on Instagram at D-L-X-F-U-E-N-T-E-S. Cool, cool. Well, from everyone here at the M4 Podcast, thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.